Welcome to the Ecom Breakthrough Podcast. Are you ready to unlock the full potential and growth in your business? You've already crossed seven figures in sales, but the challenge is knowing how to take your business to the next level. Join Josh Hadley, an eight-figure e-com business owner and investor, as he interviews highly successful business owners. Get ready, because you're going to learn specific actions you can take today to help your business reach its full potential and leave a lasting impact on the world. Welcome to the Ecom Breakthrough Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Hadley, where I interview the top business leaders in e-commerce. Past guests include Kevin King, Michael E. Gerber, the author of The E-Myth, and Roland Frazier. Today, I'm speaking with Rolando Rosas, founder and CEO of Global Tech Worldwide, and we will be talking a lot about how he built his seven-figure brand and the PPC strategies that are going to take your ads to the next level. This episode is brought to you by Ecom Breakthrough Consulting, where I help seven-figure companies grow to eight figures and beyond. Listen, Rolando, I started my e-com business back in 2015, and I grew it to an eight-figure brand in seven years, but I certainly made a lot of mistakes along the way that made the path of getting to eight figures take a lot longer than it really needed to. There were times where I had a lot of self-doubt. I doubted whether my brand could become a household name. I doubted whether I would have the financial capital or wherewithal to be able to manage cash flow and continue to grow the business. So to our listeners that have uh, ran into those stumbling blocks, if you want to avoid those stumbling blocks in the future and know the next steps to take to take your business to the next level, then go to ecombreakthrough.com. That's ecom with two M's to learn more. And as a special bonus to my podcast listeners, this month I'm giving away one $10,000 comprehensive business strategy audit session at no cost. All you need to do is email me at josh at ecombreakthrough.com and in your subject line, say strategy audit, and then plead your case as to why I should choose you and your business to work with for this month. And don't worry if you don't win this month, you'll be entered to win for future months to come. Today, before I introduce you to today's guests, I want to give a quick shout out to Tyler Jeffcoat at Seller Accountant. Um, Tyler was a previous guest of the podcast, and he is the one who referred Rolando um, to this podcast for today's episode. And uh, in Tyler's interview, we it was an amazing deep dive in understanding the financial metrics that you should be tracking and measuring and he also gave us a kind of a baseline and kind of an overview as in terms of what this industry averages are for some of those financial metrics so that you know whether you're winning or losing from a financial standpoint and whether aggregators or private equity firms that would be potentially interested in acquiring your business um, would be interested based on your financial metrics. So go ahead and take a look at and listen of that episode. But today I'm super excited to introduce you all to Rolando Rosas. Rolando never could have predicted that a college computer, a printer, and an old school wall phone in his kitchen would lead him down the path of entrepreneurship, but that's exactly how it happened. In 2002, he founded Global Tech Worldwide with the goal of making it easy for businesses to use the right office technologies for better and frictionless customer interactions that help businesses elevate their customer interactions and turn them into rich, meaningful discussions. Fast forward to today, and after spending 10 years selling on Amazon, he is on his third startup, CircuitLoops.com. 
because he was frustrated with the lack of transparency and outdated methods of buying broadband, wireless, and fiber internet for small and medium-sized businesses. So with that introduction, welcome to the show, Rolando. Let me try. Let me try. There you go. Hey, there we go. You got the audio working. I got it. I got him. I got him to work. (laughs) Rolando has his own podcast that we recorded um, an episode last week. I was like, I was in the reverse side. I was the guest there. And that I told you, Rolando, I love the sound effects that you have going on in your podcast. You know what? I'm here. You know what? Go get a stream deck. Go get it and call me and I'll help you set it up because it took me a while. I, I left it in the box for quite some time before I actually started using it because I was a little intimidated. I'm not a, an AV guy or anything like that. But, you know, I was like, all right, let me add one, two, three. And I was like, ooh, and now I've got a couple of those buttons set up for it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, Rolando, I'm super excited to have you on this podcast. And why don't you give people just kind of a quick journey? You've been doing a lot in entrepreneurship. Um, we could probably spend the entire episode just talking about your entrepreneurial journey. But talk to us most specifically about your journey selling on Amazon. When did you get started? And, you know, how did it get to where you are today? Well, let me let me take you back to when I started before Amazon. It was 2002. Uh, there weren't uh, the add to cart and buy. We had to throw things on a website uh, where you actually called the fo- called the phone or you sent us a fax. And then we took your credit card over the phone or, or looked at it on the fax machine and then sent you the product. Uh, and I kind of backed into that by accident. You know, I didn't. I couldn't get, like you said, uh, in 2002, I started, but I got let go from my job when the telecom bust happened. And by sheer coincidence, I still had a bunch of boxes left over in my garage. And I had some customers that wanted some. And I thought, eh, okay, instead of throwing them in a landfill, because that's what I wanted to do. After you get fired, you know, you feel bitter. You feel angry. Why would you <laughs> want to keep that crap around? So I wanted to light it up in a bonfire and landfill. So anyways, luckily, this customer said, you know, actually, I need more. And I thought, maybe I have a business here. So the journey started uh, with our own website way before Amazon. Then another 10 years later, we jumped into Amazon uh, some 2013. And, um, you know, the first year was awful. We only made $10,000. That's mm. on, from a scale professor perspective that was nothing but it was the smallest channel at the time we thought eh, maybe we may dump this program or or not the second year we thought okay let's look at this differently it's not like our own web store it's not like running google ads it's not like nothing like that so once we did that and we made that pivot sales started going up and instead of making ten thousand that year we made ten thousand the first month uh, and then year number two, and then another 20 and then 50 and it just kept climbing and then six figures within a month and then mid six figures. And then it just kept growing. The more we started adding the playbook to what Amazon needed for us to go rather than the old playbook, which was from our website and using Google ads from that time period. Interesting. Tell me a little bit more about the difference, right? Where you were selling products on your own e-commerce website and then Amazon was kind of a different um, animal, so to speak. What were those differences? And tell us more about the strategies you were employing to generate sales on your own e-com website versus the strategies that you needed to start implementing in order to succeed on Amazon, because they are definitely different beasts. 
you have to look at Amazon like an intent platform. Um, When you're searching on Google, there's a wild variation of intent from simply just finding out if this product exists to I've got my credit card ready or my wallet ready to buy today at this moment. And Amazon has a lot more of folks that are closer to that other side of the spectrum. They're in the middle of the funnel kind of I'm intending to buy to all the way I'm going to buy right now and I need it mañana. There are folks doing research and there are folks doing just browsing around. But we've found, especially lately, that mid to bottom funnel customer is fully on board with the Amazon ecosystem and going after those. And then that's kind of, I I wouldn't have known that back then, but once we started changing the keywords, the title, uh, the description to fit more of that, that, that persona of that person that has a higher intent to buy versus browse that made the world the difference. Yeah. I, I would echo everything that you just talked about. Amazon definitely has a whole different feature or use of keywords than what you're going to be utilizing on Google, right? Google, you're Mm -hmm. definitely, people are more browsing, exploring, researching, but on Amazon, people come in with very long tail keywords, right? That are like, I need a, you know, I need a basketball that's yellow and green (laughs) and size seven for toddlers, right? Right. That's correct. You're going to get stuff like that on Amazon, whereas on Google, that's definitely more of a rarity. Right. And on Google, everybody and their grandmother's searching. But when it comes to Amazon, because if we think about the office space for a moment, mid mid level business, even small and large enterprise, the profile of the person in our line of business that is going to be looking, that is actually doing the looking and buying actually is different than the, the, the on Google side where the mm-hmm. looking and buying may get done by a different person within the office, a person that has different responsibility versus that person that's doing the exact same function, but on Amazon. Interesting. Yeah. So also the, the your target audience, right. That you're trying mm-hmm. to speak to is going to be very different. Those, right. those are some awesome key points that you've highlighted there. So Rolando, you are in the kind of, electronic space on Amazon. Is that That's correct? Right. That's right. So I would assume that comes with its own complications. There's been <laughs> a lot of overseas competitors that have recently been kicked off the entire Amazon. Oh, platform. yeah. You oh, know, yeah. It, one question I have for you, the electronic space is a very competitive marketplace. You've got a lot of overseas competitors that can make these things really cheaply, and then they're going to just you know, really lower the entire prices of the marketplace overall. They just continue to drop price over and over again. So how do you stay relevant with maintaining a good, you know, profit margin in a very competitive and saturated category? You know, you're you're talking the language of CPG when you're talking about that. And every uh, prior to doing e-commerce, I knew nothing. I didn't know anything about carts and PPC. I didn't know any of that stuff. I worked for Marlboro or the parent company, Altria. They sell premium products that just like um, Unilever and and Procter & Gamble, you're going to pay for Tide. Tide's the premium product. You want maybe not like Tide, but still within that family, you're going to buy the stuff at the the bottom shelf at the supermarket, right? The no frills Mm. brand or the private label brand that they have at the store. There's always room for premium 
and let's call it generics just to keep it simple. I like playing in the premium side of things because there's more money, there's potential for higher sales, and the customer isn't as price sensitive. There is price sensitivity, but maybe not as much. Yeah. And so what pool do you want to play in? The one that has more cash, like the big CPG companies do. And, you know, all right, you need the no frills. We got that too. And so from a strategy perspective, when you're talking about Chinese sellers, there's the empows of the world. And I I wouldn't call Anchor an like empow, but Anchor is a Chinese brand. It's an American that's that's got all of their offices in China. Mm -hmm. It's hard to compete, but there's always something that they're missing. And it's your mission as an entrepreneur to find out whether it's candles or electronics or uh, other goods that are being sold. What are they missing? Well, they don't have a silver colored one or a gold gold plated one. Um, and, and once you find that out, start there. But I would say even before that, make sure that you jump into Amazon knowing something about the product rather than going on Alibaba because some influencer told you to do so or going to Helium <laughs> 10 because an influencer told you to start there on your search and your journey. Don't do that. That's the fast way to crash and burn because Amazon is not passive and it's not for the weak, right? I'm sure you would agree with that, Josh. Oh, that, that 100% true statement. I think we have all seen the Facebook ads, the YouTube ads, the TikTok ads of everybody that says, I can, I print $1,000 every night while I sleep because <laughs> while I sell on Amazon, just go to Alibaba, find this and slap your name on it. And bam, you're printing money passively. And it's like, oh, that is so They're fun. selling a course. At the yep. end of the day, those people are, they're interested in selling a course. And my interest is to let people know you can be on Amazon. You can sell, you can have it print money for you, but it won't be because you're laying down somewhere every single day on an island in the Caribbean and not touching your computer. That's yeah. not a reality. That is totally not reality. Especially early on, you will be grinding if you want to like, it's just like a rocket. They spend a lot of fuel getting off the launch pad and yeah. a lot less one there in space. It's the same way on Amazon, a lot of fuel, a ton of energy as soon as you start, maybe that first, second, or even third year. But after that, it starts getting maybe just a little easier Then just a little easier. You round out a team member, you bring in somebody else, you outsource this, you, you, all, you, you start understanding the different scenarios and pillars that you need to be successful on the platform. And then maybe the printing machine starts rolling a little faster, right? Rather than, mm -hmm. I want to go back here, Josh. I'm going to go back on that couch. I'm going to just let yeah. it fly for a couple of weeks without checking in on what's going on. Totally, yeah. totally not. I want to see something else. You asked me about Chinese um, sellers, competitors, electronics. The other thing that a lot of people have a misconception that you cannot be a drop shipper on Amazon, that it doesn't work. And I just want to clarify that because A, we resell electronics and B, we also have our private label. But in order to be successful at both, or either one of them, you have to understand the dynamics that are going on on Amazon. You can't drop ship from Walmart to an Amazon customer. You can't scale. You can't have a thousand SKUs and not have a good management system for it, for receiving orders and for your suppliers to ship them out. If you don't have those things as a drop shipper, you will fail. 
if on the other hand, you want to do your own private label thing, you have to know how can I eke out something within that platform to compete against either the Chinese brands that are maybe more direct or another incumbent that's really big, bloated, and is really not paying attention to the marketplace. And so whatever side of the spectrum you're on, you have to know and understand, understand those dynamics. Otherwise, you'll sit on inventory that'll not move anywhere. Yeah, totally agree. And those are some great ideas for anybody that's into the drop shipping world. I have no experience with that. So <laughs> Rolando is your man if, if you're uh, in the drop talk. shipping I've been. I've, I've got a lot of bruises over 20 years of doing that. Um, and you can do it. You can totally do it. You just have to know how to do it efficiently and correct. Otherwise, yeah. you will crash and burn. So, Rolando, I want to take us back to what you talked about earlier. If you have a lot of overseas competitors that the only thing that they know how to do to compete on is price, mm -hmm. you talked about creating that premium brand. What goes into the creation of the premium brand to where somebody is willing to pay even double the price for your product compared to the cheapest alternative um, from another competitor? The easiest thing you could do right now today to test that theory is look at your main image and look at your competitor's main image. What you're going to find is that there are some, some items that look a lot alike, right? You know, you know, an orange ball looks like this other, other orange ball looks like the other orange ball. But you know what? What if I took that orange ball, ball, B-A-L-L, and made it bigger so it occupied more of the space and you could see the grain on the ball when it comes to search and you and it's a nice clean image of that orange ball you're gonna be like whoa i could see the individual if it's leather i'm just saying leather grain and all that stuff yeah. those little details the chinese sellers may or may not be doing that your competition may or may not be doing that the other thing you could do is uh, take that main image and create a 3d render if you don't have you know access to photography equipment the technology right now for 3d rendering of images wasn't what it was three four four three or four five years ago it's much easier much easier for you know somebody you to source somebody and they create a beautiful 3d rendering of your image and that's also going to stand out more versus your competition I guarantee not a lot of them are doing that today but it's out there and it's a lot cheaper than it used to be Interesting. Interesting. What else? Are, are there any other listing optimization, I guess, strategies or tactics that you've been able to implement that allow you to separate yourself in terms of being a premium brand? Yes. Customers want to know that you're active on that platform, that you're just not a seller that's just got a listing, a few pictures and a video or two. If you have engagement in the way of questions and answers, which are on the product listing and you respond to those with text and video you're building trust and confidence for your brand in a way that i guarantee you the competition doesn't really focus on because it's just seen as yeah just some questions yeah just you know we just kind of respond to it whenever we get to it but amazon takes that very seriously those words on that q a those get indexed and those can help you rank better that's from one thing. The second yeah. is it, the customer itself. They know this seller is active and they're responding. Um, and then that leads into if you're a smaller brand, I'm, I'm going to try it. 
see how it goes. And I know from my own buying behavior, there's stuff that I buy on Amazon all the time. I've never heard of the brand, but it worked because I'm looking at not just the reviews, but I see, okay, 50 questions answered. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So either that impression, I mean, it's got to be important. Think about this for a second. Amazon places things at the top because they view them as important because they have seen the metrics and probably a heat map that shows where customers hover, where they're spending dwell time. So if that is important to be at the very top, then there's something in there, whether it's psychological, quantitatively that you can measure or has an influence on the purchase. So if that's the case, I want to pay attention to it. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that's a wicked smart strategy. You just barely slipped the, these two things in here, but there's two wicked smart strategies that you shared, um, Rolando, that I want to call out. Number one, that is the fact that the answers, the question, as well as your answer, those keywords there get indexed on Amazon. And so, you know, the strategy here is if you're playing in a sp in a space where, you know, you can't use certain terms, maybe it's, you know, uh, I think the, the term we used prior to hitting this podcast yes. recording was the uh, uh, CBD, remind me, CBD, CBD, right? You can't use that in your listing. But if you have a customer that asks that question, well, guess what? Now you're going to start ranking for CBD. There's another, a couple other keywords. That I yeah. I, I don't, I mean, not in the supplement space, but I guarantee you there's a bunch of prohibited words you cannot use on the listing. Amazon will shut it down, but it's totally kosher to put those as part of the question. For example, use CBD. So if you have a supplement and somebody wants to know, does this have CBD in the main ingredients or ingredients? That can be a question that is legit. You can respond saying, no, my supplement does not contain X. And in this case, it's CBD. Or yeah. uh, I think the other one that, that got a lot of attention was, um, oh, geez, I, there was this, this like, uh, not ginseng, but this kind of energy um, herb that ephedra. Mm. No, we cannot put ephedra in our supplement. Totally yeah. kosher. Because you're responding to that question and you're saying, nope, we don't use ephedra, we don't use CBD. And, and you know, people look for those keywords, even though they're prohibited, people are still searching for those keywords on the platform. Yep. And it's also a really good way um, for people to ask questions, including your competitors' brand names. So if you want to try to oh, rank like for that. your competitors' brand name terms, such as, hey, how does this compare to the Melissa and Doug toy set, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, how does the quality compare to X brand name, right? Yeah, I would, I would so, liken that to, for us, would be iPhone. Because mm. if you put iPhone in the title, there's so much drama that goes on with iPhone, sure. iPad as a term, Apple. That's totally legit for electronics because it is a question, right? Yep. Oh, I love that. I love the insight. There you go. Wait a minute. Hold up a second. Let me give that a clap. There you go. I love it. I love it. All right, Rolando. The other wicked smart strategy that you shared in there is that you're responding to these questions with videos, not just the, you know, hey, let me give you my copy mm -hmm. and paste statement here that I normally do for all of our FAQs. Tell me what impact have you seen videos 
do to that FAQ section? Wow. We, so we tried this when we first started with video on a product that was not a best seller for us. It wasn't in the top 10 at all. So we put in like eight video responses to eight different questions and just watched it. Now, nothing happened overnight, like boom, like, but what we saw was a slow burn more and more every week. So we went from, so let's say 50 units a week to 52, then 52 to 55 and now 60 and now mm. 64. So it's cumulative, right? And that's what you want because that's more sustainable. Now, once you're at these higher levels of selling, you as a seller can also sustain that better than if overnight it tripled. Now you're yeah. in a world of hurt. Maybe your supplier can't keep up. Maybe you can't get it in fast enough. And now you're out of stock, right? And which is also bad. I heard uh, Stephen Pope had a really good one on this one. Rule number one, never run out of stock. Rule number yeah. two, check rule number one, right? <laughs> so true. So if it all of a sudden, and sometimes that happens, right? I've, I've heard people say, oh, I had an influencer help us in overnight. We sold, you know, hundred percent more. That's great. As long as you have stock, yeah. you run out of stock, you lose all that momentum. And I was talking to somebody at Amazon and I asked them, I said, so what happens when we go out of stock? And here's what they told me. The more competitive your category, the less likely when you come back into stock that you're going to go right back into your BSR position, essentially your ranking. Mm. The less competitive, the the quicker they will put you back because there's not a good substitute. That was the word used. So if you're in the candle space, right, just there's a bazillion people and sellers selling that. It may yeah. take a little bit longer for you to get back to the original position and ranking like you were before or velocity. But if you've got I don't know, handcrafted, made in Africa, no elephant, and we didn't kill. And it's, it's such a niche. Again, I don't know the candle space, so yeah. I'm just making this hypothetical. But you've got a niche, you know, that is that is very few competitors. Boop, you're going to pop up much easier. So never run out of stock. So, but, but getting back to your question about engagement. So we were able to see this product start moving better and better. Uh, and I think we're now like five months since we started that. And we're at a much higher level, a better velocity, better run rate since implementing that. And we did not change anything else. And then we then started supplementing that with better secondary images. And that also mm -hmm. helped kick in a, net, a new gear, uh, more like of a premium look, like as if you're you know, um, you know, more earthy tones. We, we found out, here's a nugget. We did a couple of tests using Amazon posts okay. and we took products and we put them in environment, like a lifestyle image. And we found a pattern that kept holding. There was a certain type of lifestyle image. If you incorporated these elements, it got more clicks. So then mm. after a while, I said to my team, take images that we know on Amazon posts, it gets more clicks start creating secondary images that have some of those elements. And guess what? It's working in the products where we've done that. We've been able to see better click through rates and better conversions. Fascinating. Why do you think that customer engagement has, has helped you? You said that you did nothing else. You added in secondary images later, mm -hmm. but you first were replying to Q and A's with just videos 
and you believe that that's what started ramping up your mm-hmm. sales. Why do you believe that's the case? Mm-hmm. Well, one, the numbers tell us that. So the data, the data mm-hmm. is telling us that um, sessions went up. We see the um, unit session, which is what Amazon measures, kind of their conversion number that went up. Yeah. And so after like month number three, my person that orders our stuff for this particular line said, what are you guys doing? I'm ordering more. Mm. And I knew we were onto something because I didn't tell her what we're doing. She didn't know. And so I said, it's working. So my people tell me that this product, they're having to order more than they've been. It's like I had, I, I can't believe I ordered just a month ago. We normally are good for two to three months. I said, oh, okay, let me tell you why. And what, oh, she was like, okay. So we had to ramp up our buying uh, of that particular product line in order to keep it in stock. So that's how I know it was working. And then we added secondary images and, you know, then we started adding A plus content, improving that to give using A plus premium. So a few other things now that we know that at least at the fundamental level, the video and the engagement piece is there. We start adding all these other elements to try to see if we can increase sales. Amazing. I love that. All right, Rolando, there's another really wicked smart strategy that I want you to share with our audience that you shared with me prior to hitting the record button. And this is your amazing PPC strategy that I have never heard anybody else talk about this other than yourself. Um, Everybody's always heard of day parting, right? And that's kind of the new hot PPC term. But this isn't day parting. This is something I think even more intelligent than what day parting is. So I've laid out the red carpet for you there, Rolando. Give us the gold nugget. Yeah, right. So day parting is just simply ad scheduling, you know, run an ad on a schedule. Nothing new there. But what if, um, Chad, I was just talking to Chad. What if, Josh, we could map or have ads show up when we have our ideal customers on Amazon? How can we do that? Can we pull it off? And can we save money while we're doing it? That's really what we wanted to find out. Turns out there is a way to do it. Not easy, not clean, but there was. So we went and pulled data from our orders for 12 months. And we used uh, Seller Labs product that they have or service that's called Data Hub. And it pulled in all that data, right? It's our own data. So we didn't have to do all these crazy reports from Amazon, pulled it all in. Once they pulled that in, I said, wait a minute, guys, I'm not a mathematician here. This is just a spreadsheet with a bunch of numbers. Can we do something better? So then we put together something that anybody could easily use in the organization. We put together a heat map so that you can visually see the data. And, you know, dark green means good. Red is bad. And guess what? We found golden hours every day of the week, also golden months, also patterns within those months. For example, summertime for our products, which are mostly office related products. After 4 p.m. on a Friday, we've virtually had no orders on the summer months. So if I'm a betting man, why would I run PPC after 4 p.m. if we're not getting any orders? Another one was when um, on the weekends, you hear people say this all the time. And now that I have the data for our stuff, I know it's totally wrong. 
You got to run ads on Saturday and Sunday because people browse Saturday and Sunday and buy on Monday. The evidence does not hold that up in our case because in our case, most of our activity, nearly 85 to 90% of the purchases came Monday through Friday. So if I'm advertising, why would I want to focus on that 5 to 10%? Doesn't make sense. It's not going to move the needle. Let's focus on that 85 to 90% that can, can move the needle and dump money into that. And now uh, for the last 90, 120 days that we've been doing it, we've been able to improve our tacos. We've been able to improve our sales with the ad spend that we were using. We are also able to improve the organic. So in all three metrics, the intelligent way of using ads throughout the day is better than blanketing that money every single day of the week. That just doesn't make sense. Yeah. One thing is you talked about that, Rolando, I think one of the key metrics that you could start tracking is almost like, what is your tacos at a daily basis? What's my tacos on Monday compared to tacos on Friday, right? What's my tacos on Saturday and Sunday? And probably even though you're going to spend less money on Saturday and Sunday, and I'd be curious to hear, you know, if you have data or, you know, even just ballpark of what that data might have been. My hypothesis is that on Saturday, Sunday, you're spending less, but also there's a lot fewer orders happening. So your tacos 100%. could actually be a lot higher on Monday or Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, the ROAS was really right? bad on the weekend, I got to tell you. So mm. um, it was double. I'm sorry. So it was be the reverse. So ROAS was half. So let's just use okay. round numbers. If our ROAS was 10 Monday through Friday, it was five on the weekends. Mm. Right. Yeah. So again, another reason why the weekends were so bad. And I, I just got to believe that the customer, again, get back to our discussion about intent platform, the customer on the weekends maybe has lower intent. Maybe they're browsing more. And the ones on the weekdays, which are probably our more ideal customers or those that are closer to the bottom of the funnel that are ready to hit add to cart are probably shopping Monday through Friday versus Saturday and Sunday. And specific days, um, specific days and then specific times of the day. Correct. Yes. That so is correct. So you kind of so, layered in day parting to an extent on this. Right. Strategy. So most most of the day parting stuff right now will just let you turn it on and off, you know, for a certain time. So 3 a.m. No reason for us to be a, uh, be the late night show at 3 a.m. and get clicks. We saw too few orders, you know, at those extreme times. Are there opportunity? I just heard somebody say something the other day that I think we're going to try for those hours that you're not advertising on. So let's, let's just say we do Monday through Friday, 12 to 5 PM. I just mm -hmm. 12 to five, all those other hours would run a low bid strategy to try to see if we can get some of those clicks going into that. And I, I haven't tried it yet, but this person said he heard me talk about day parting a mm. couple of weeks ago and it worked for him. And then he tried this low bid strategy in the off hours as we'll call it. That's working for him, too. So I haven't tried it, but I heard somebody else say this is something they've augmented with something I talked about recently. 
Fascinating. So with that, then, if you're trying to advertise between the hours of like 12 and 5, are you juicing up your top of search adjustment for those specific times of day? Um, and, and then my follow up question to that would be, how are you doing that? Um, because that sounds like it would be a very manual effort. Do you have software that's it, automating it, this? That You know, it's manual right now. And um, basically because is there, we're trying to find a formula, you know, A plus B equals C, right? And, and it doesn't work that way very cleanly, right? So to get it to scale, you really need to find shortcuts. So one of the shortcuts is we have um, things in the portfolio side, right? So we could group things together. These are these group of products. And when we look at that, oh yeah, this one has a 20 ROI, uh, versus this group of products. Mm, now we have a much more um, an easier way to get at trying to manage that versus, you know, I have a phrase campaign, I have a broad match campaign. And then if you're looking at seller central or some software, you know, you get a list of a hundred campaigns. Oh crap. Which one's important? Which one's not? Da, da, da. Grouping it to portfolios was a really smart way to do it. Yeah. Regardless if it's broad match and exact and all the rest that's that's kind of the the shorthand that, that that we've been using in order to get at trying to manage multiple campaigns yeah that makes a lot of sense now one thing before we kind of wrap everything up one thing i wanted to touch on you talked about feeding all of your data into the seller labs data hub um is there any other ways that you're using that data intelligently for your business and is that something that you would recommend other sellers do. And, you know, for somebody that isn't a data nerd and doesn't geek out on data, um, would that still be a useful tool for them? And, and what type of insights could they find? So, yeah, you can have your own data um, in Google Sheets so you can play with it, massage it, turn it upside down. And if you are a data geek or you have some of those on your team, they're going to love it. I, I heard the other day some folks like that are aggregators that are trying to do all this stuff like that, that that helps them too. So they have a lot of data geeks. Now, if you're on the other side of the spectrum um, and you're the business owner, or you're somebody that's maybe not a data nerd, you can get from them something like templates. So they, it just feeds into a template and then your data is there and populated and you'll be able to see it in, you know, you, you want it uh, like almost like a QuickBooks style manner where you're looking mm. at profit and loss. It makes sense. Uh, you're looking at PPC, it makes sense. Uh, you want the heat map, it makes sense. So whether you're a data nerd or you're on the other side of the spectrum like I am and you're not as much of a data nerd, you're like, okay, now it makes sense because I visually see it rather than just long columns of data. So I wouldn't be intimidated uh, if you use templates, I mean, it, it, that's what they're there for, to try to make your life easier. So you can get other data. Yeah, they, they, they do a bunch. I mean, we have, we're only scratching the surface with this. And I think, Josh, moving forward, data science, data analytics, and artificial intelligence is what's going to lead the way for Amazon sellers. Without those three things, you're going to be stuck in where we were maybe four years ago. you got to have those three as part of your playbook. Yeah. Uh, I completely agree. I think that the, the AI data science, being able to sift through all of the data that Amazon's giving you, it's very rare to 
attend any presentation at any conference and hear somebody say, hey, so pull up this report, this report, this report, <laughs> do these manipulations, and out comes this miraculous, you know, uh, picture of data that is sharing actionable insights that you could really move the needle on in your business. But if you can have no a team that does that, you're going to just start running circles around the other sellers that aren't paying atten attention to their data. Right. No doubt. It, it's, it's a fire hose right now, and it's been getting bigger and bigger, I would say, for the last 12 months. It seems like every week or every other week, there's something new, whether it's a report or some visibility into other metrics that we didn't have before. And if you're not prepared, think about it. We're, I, I don't know if you said it or somebody said it to me the other day. We're in the Google ads phase mm -hmm. of when Amazon... Yep is letting these metrics. Today, Google Ads is complex. There, You need a Google specialist or somebody that's focused in on the Google Ads and knows how to use it well because so many metrics. Amazon is at inning number one when it comes to metrics. And I know they've hired a lot of Google people to be in their advertisement department because they want to get there where they can get their platform to have all these metrics like Google does today. Yep, that is what we talked about last week. So you're right. You are right. <laughs> All right, Rolando, as we wrap things up, I'd love to leave our audience and listeners with three actionable takeaways from each episode. Here are the three actionable takeaways that I've noted, Rolando. Let me know if you think I'm missing something here. Okay. But number one is adjusting and tweaking and refining your main image in order to be seen as a more premium option in the marketplace. This is easy, low-hanging fruit to where you just need to evaluate what does the competition look like? Most of them all look the exact same. So go do something a little bit different. And, and a good way to do this is go look at the premium brands that are out there. Go to mm -hmm. you know Tiffany Co., go to a Louis Vuitton, a Gucci, and look at the images um, that they create for their products. And take, you know, Take what's working for them and apply it into your own product. So that would be action item number one. Action item number two is if you're not already doing this, go ahead and be more diligent at responding to the customer questions that come through. That's mm -hmm. number one. Mm -hmm. Number two, if you're already doing that, start testing out by replying to those questions with videos. Um, I think we, we also talked about this last week in your podcast where the video takes up even more space than what is taken up just with a simple text reply. So now 100%. you're talking about taking up even more page space, which is why people do digital bundles on Amazon. And everybody's mm -hmm. talking about how do I occupy more real estate? Adding videos to that Q&A section pushes your competitors further away. Right. From, from Amazon's that. a game of monopoly. You know, you got to own more digital real estate and videos and all these other things we talked about will help you take up more pieces of the board and take them off, take the competitors off the board, so to speak. That's what you want to do with that. I love that analogy. I love that. And then last but not least with that strategy is start juicing some of the keywords that you can add into those questions and answers, right? So no doubt. Is, are there any prohibited terms that you can't include in your listing, but it's totally within the TOS of Amazon 
to have a customer ask that question and for you to answer that question with that keyword. Um, you can do the same thing with brand terms if you're trying to rank for a branded search term. So there's right. some golden nuggets there. Take action on that. Last but not least, the third actionable takeaway, and I'm going to kind of roll this up into one big one, but mm -hmm. it's start analyzing your data. And if you're not currently doing that, use tools such as Power BI or use, you know, Seller Labs Data Hub and start looking at the data. Then if you want to take things to the next level, do what Rolando talked about and create a heat map. When are your customers purchasing? What times of the day? What day, days of the week are those orders coming through? Then right. go ahead and layer on your ad spend over those different times of day, days of the week, and then calculate what is your return on ad spend during the, each of those different days and times. Right. Then you can become more intelligent turning on and off your ads at specific times and even specific days of the week. So, Rolando. And Josh, I would say there that for those people that are doing that, and you feel a little afraid about making changes to your ads, take one campaign or two campaigns and do that with. See what happens. Let it ride for a few weeks or a month or two. And you'll have more confidence about rolling it out because that's what we ended up doing ultimately. Let's do this with a handful mm. of campaigns out of like almost 200 that we're running. What happens then? And then over time, we migrated almost all of our campaigns over to this intelligent ad scheduling. Awesome. That is good input and good um, advice for our listeners. Start small um, with all of these strategies. You don't have to go redo all of your main images. Start with one SKU, right? No don't doubt. have to do all the Q&As. Start with one SKU. Focus on it. See what happens. Look at the data. Use all of those data points that Rolando previously talked about that will tell you, yes, this is working or it's not. Rolando, this has been an amazing conversation. I've enjoyed it. I've learned a lot. Um, I've love learned to a lot from you. Hold up. Hey, there this we go. For Josh. Not for me, but Ad for Josh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you can self-promote yourself, too. Give yourself a clap. <laughs> uh, okay, I'll give myself a double clap know. then. And now this is Rolando. <laughs> Sharing, sharing wisdom with us all, dropping knowledge bombs. So, Rolando, I'm going to ask you the series of three questions that I like to ask every guest. All now, right, number one is, what has been the most influential book that you've read and why? I'm going to give you two, Josh, because right. there's two that really kind of shifted my thinking. One is the Giza Power Plant by Christopher Dunn. Bottom line here is, if you have a theory... A valid theory is one that can be proven from the letter A, if we use the Amazon term, all the way to Z. All along the way, it makes sense, and you get to Z, that conclusion matches. And so whether it's day partying and ad scheduling, if it is correct and it works, then the data will show, yeah, sales went up, conversion went up, all the rest, right? It'll add up. So valid theories are those that add up all the way from beginning to end. And that really changed my thinking instead of if somebody tells mm -hmm. you something, all right, I'm going to test it. So there was a lot of missing pieces and we didn't really get to the end with the valid conclusion. Theory doesn't work. Mm. Just like the Alibaba, go to Alibaba and sell on Amazon. That doesn't hold up, right? The next one, I would say the history of 11 rival nations by Colin Woodward. Woodard. 
100% recommended for everybody that wants to understand psychology and why places like New York are identical in philosophy, in culture, as it was 300 years ago. And a lot has happened. And that book really provides really good insight into what happened into these areas when they were settled by the original settlers of that area and why today places like New York are still in a lot of ways. They were 300 in New York. People will sell you anything and everything. That's the way it was 300 years ago. They didn't care what color you look like this, that, the other, they were all about trading, right? So bring mm. your money over here. We like the money. We don't care who brings it, bring it over here and we'll sell you timber and fur and da da da, all the rest. That's how it was 300 years ago. That's the way still is today. And then it goes into other examples about how this was this kind of con concept is basically the same all over the country in 11 regions of the country that are still the same way today. Fascinating. Those are two books that nobody has ever recommended on the podcast. So I appreciate you. Sharing something fresh and new. Yeah, everybody's going to tell you about at atomic behavior and the one percent and all of those because everybody's reading that. And I've read that, but these two game changers. I love it. I love it. Well, speaking of that, what's a game changing software that you've recently discovered or started using, and uh, you'd, why? You'd be crazy if you're not using OpenAI, ChatGPT, or some other intelligence software. Um, just in the, what is the first month, they reached 100 million subscribers, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a game changing. We've been using it internally. We actually give ChatGPT a name. We call him Eddie. Eddie <laughs> helps a lot of tasks, but I'll, I'll tell you what, there is a warning for those that rely 100%. We've found it to be inaccurate with some things. So you still need a human to like look at it. But the task of getting to computing, uh, getting ideas, you know, take translations, does awesome jobs using it with Google Sheets or Airtable that takes it to another level. So ChatGPT, AKA Eddie, is something I would highly recommend for anybody that's selling on Amazon because it's got a lot of ways for you to cut time and cut tasks from weeks to hours. Completely agree, completely agree. All right. Final question here. Who is somebody that you admire or respect the most in the e-commerce space that other sh sellers should be following and why? Ooh, there's a lot. There's a lot of guys I like, man. Uh, I'm just going to give you a list because like, I'm, no, I'm going to get angry emails like, why didn't you tell? Why didn't you put me on? Um, I, I really love, love Kevin King. He's he, he's plugged into everything. Um, he's got a podcast as well. Uh, Chad Rubin a good friend of mine as well. He's super knowledgeable. Um, what else? In it? Stephen Pope, Stephen Pope of my Amazon guy. Great, great, great wealth of knowledge as well. Um, oh man. And there's, there's a couple of others I could probably think of, but those are the three that stand out in my mind. And if I left you out, don't send me an angry text message that I left you out. It's just what's in my brain right now. I love you all, you know, you know, I know I've got some friends that are going to be watching this as well. I love that. No, and we've had all of those guests on this podcast. Kevin King has been on the podcast. Chad Rubin talked even more about ChatGPT and how oh, he's yeah. utilizing AI in their new software, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Prophecy. Um, 
So that's a great episode to go listen to. We also had Stephen Pope on the podcast as well. So those are awesome episodes. Definitely encourage our listeners to go check those out. Now, no as we wrap up, Rolando, I think you have a, a special offer that you are going to give our listeners to the first 10 that reach out. Um, tell us more yeah. about that and where people can contact you and, and follow your journey. Awesome. So um, I have a podcast um, called What the Tech, and we, we interview some of those same people that you just mentioned, and they're on circuitloops.com or anywhere you consume your podcast. Um, I'm on LinkedIn and Rolando Rosas. Look for that um, and you'll you'll find me there. You can get in touch with me there. Um, as far as listeners and things that we would we'd offer your listeners, we'd be glad to give them a free technology audit so we can discuss your hardware and software needs and how those two can come together. So if you're doing our technology refresh or you're growing or you're moving, a lot of times this is the time when a lot of folks tend to do these kinds of activities. Uh, normally it would cost quite a bit. And sometimes you can't talk to somebody that knows both sides. So we have both services and hardware under one roof experts that can help you do that and we'll do that for free for the first 10 guests because we can't do that for everybody uh josh you know we gotta make money around here right well and reach out to you through linkedin correct yeah reach out through through linkedin and i'll be glad to uh, get that process started for those listeners Awesome. Well, that's a very generous offer, Rolando. So I encourage our our listeners to go follow through, take advantage of that offer, and also give his podcast a listen, What the Tech. I was a guest of that last yes. week, and uh, he, he does a great job. It's don't even more entertaining with all the sound effects. <laughs> well, I don't have my producer here, so he makes that all go. It's all him. You know, he makes me look good. <laughs> Shout out to Ori on that one. I love it. Well, Rolando, thank you so much for joining us today. And I appreciate your time. Thank you, Josh. I appreciate for you uh, bringing me in today. And uh, thank you very much. Thank you for listening. Visit ecombreakthrough.com for more information. If you've enjoyed today's episode, the best way you can show your appreciation is by clicking the subscribe button and quickly leaving a review. See you again next time.